Hey, folks, fall is upon us. You can feel it in the air every morning, which means it's prime time to call Steel. S-T-I-H-L. Get online right now. SteelUSA.com. Again, it's S-T-I-H-L. And you'll see a plethora of products. They're going to help you clean up this fall and get uh, the yard ready for the winter. Blowers, pruners, power washers, you name it, they've got it. And they have all kinds of deals going right now to make your life much easier financially. Isn't that great? You know, save a few bucks. We all love to save a few bucks. Steel's going to take care of you. And they have the best products in the business. Been telling you about them for years and years. They're that good. I trust them. And uh, I know you do as well because the pros do. It's S-T-I-H-L, SteelUSA.com. Look at their site and all of the different products that are going to help you out. I'm a battery-powered guy. I think it's the easiest way to go about your business. Um, And they have a steel dealer around the corner from you because there are more than 10,000 of them around the country. You can find them at SteelDealers.com as well. S-T-I-H-L, Steel, simply the best. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, part one of Drew's conversation with the Rockies' rookie superstar and what Nolan Jones was most proud about this season. It's tough because we knew early on this month that we weren't going to be playing for a playoff spot or really playing for anything. But, you know, I, as, a, as a younger guy, I wanted to show that I, I still cared and I still belonged out there. And I think our whole team did that really, really well. Plus, Drew's taking a deep dive on the MLB wildcard games, the Broncos, and of course... The Buffs. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 222. Remember room 222? I'm really dating myself. That's the television show from the 70s. Room 222. Wow, that goes back. All right. Uh, So much going on in the world of sports. Yes, the Rocky season came to a conclusion. And we'll start there. Uh, 103 losses, the most that the Rockies have ever had, 31 years on the field. And this has been kicked around a little bit. How symbolic is 100 losses? How important is it in the grand scheme of things? And yes, 100 is a big number and triple digits stand out, I suppose, more than if you lose 97 or 98. Uh, but I fall in the camp of if you've lost 97 or 98 or you've lost 102 or 103, as was the case this year, it's bad. It's not what you want. And there's no getting around that. And it's clear and it's obvious that you have a lot of work to do. So to me, I don't get caught up in the fact that it the number of losses eclipsed 100. And I know that the Rockies were one of two franchises never to have lost 100 games. And and that's that's nice. But the bottom line is you're trying to win. You're trying to be in contention in September and get to October. And the Rockies, you know, have big challenges in that regard for all the reasons you've heard in the past, pitching, 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 and altitude, altitude, altitude. And they're real. There's no denying that. And people in baseball acknowledge that who work in the industry, who don't work in Denver. They know that. It is a great challenge. But still, having said that, when you talk about 100 losses versus 97, 98, 
I don't get all caught up in that and, and go, oh my God, it, it's 103 versus you know a number in the 90s because you need to turn it around. You need to uh, have a process to get back to where you're trying to win you know, 88, 90 plus, because that will get you into the postseason. And they're immersed in that process right now. And I actually think they are doing it the right way, playing young players, as we've discussed uh, throughout the second half of the season, in every possible way, acquiring pitching. They did that at the trade deadline, getting seven minor league pitchers, Victor Vodnik, um, one of those seven that actually made his major league debut and showed a really good bullpen arm. And you can see him being part of a um, a bullpen and being asked to pitch high leverage innings. So I, I really um, like and applaud what they've done in that regard. Uh, you're going to hear from Nolan Jones over the next couple of weeks. Love that kid, not only uh, for what he does on the field, but you're going to hear the passion and the drive that he has. And if you look around baseball, if you look at the postseason, there are so many impactful young players, teams that are comprised of more young players than the grizzled old veterans necessarily leading the way. There are some exceptions. I mean, if you if you look at the Dodgers, who will get going later in the week, yeah, it's Mookie Betts, it's Freddie Freeman, it's Clayton Kershaw carrying the flag. But look at Arizona. Look at Tampa. Look at Baltimore. Not just a, a nice young player here or there, but rosters that are heavily populated and impacted by young players. And the Rockies are heading in that direction. Do they need more? Absolutely. Do they need continued growth with the young folks that we've seen the last couple of months? Absolutely. But there's a path to getting back to where everybody in this region would like to see them. So again, uh, on the subject of 100-plus losses versus 90-something, I I don't spend a lot of time going, oh man, this is how bad it was. It was 103 versus 98. In baseball, I don't know if you've caught this, but attendance was way up this year, close to 10%, just under, under 10%. And I know we're coming out of COVID and we're coming out of uh, you know, a CBA that saw the season a year ago delayed by one week, and, and there were a lot of people upset. Um, but I do think that this increase, and an increase in ratings from a television standpoint, um, is a strong indication that the moves that baseball made in the offseason, uh, the pitch clock, the shift being eliminated most prominently, um, have captured with approval the audience of baseball, and they're starting to expand the audience of baseball. Hopefully it includes the next generation. Um, I really think that uh, you know baseball has gone to great lengths to address where they were. And you can't stand back on history, and this is how we do it, because that's how you get passed by. That's how... If you're the Pac-12, all of a sudden you become no more. You need to evolve. And to baseball's credit, they have done that and are continuing to do that. You know, in a number of areas, trying to trying to broaden who is playing the game with their RBI program over the last, you know, more than a decade. And in the last, I think, five drafts in the first round, 
20% of the players selected in North America are African-American. And that's important. It's important in the growth of this game. And I think the pitch clock, when we talk about the rule changes, was huge. It shaved off 24 minutes per game. It meant that there's the balls in play more frequently as opposed to waiting, you know, five minutes for a ball to get hit. Uh, it, it moved things along and it made it a much easier and more pleasant watch. And I think the numbers that we're seeing from uh, folks going to the ballpark and watching on television, I think the increase can be attributed in certain measure, perhaps large measure, not exclusively, but to the rule changes. So good, good for Major League Baseball. I also think the fact that there is an extra wild card team plays a role. We look at the other sports, and, and they have more participants in the postseason. And baseball, because of the length of the season, nobody wants to watch two months, three months of baseball and say, well, my team has no shot. They're done. I mean, that's not fun. You want to feel like, hey, if we go on a run, we still have an opportunity. And you went into that final weekend of the regular season, and, and it, w- it was high drama. Look at the American League West. I mean, Seattle was in a good position, and it came down in the final couple of days of the season. All of a sudden, they were out of it. Houston thought, you know, we're going to have to bite, fight, and scratch to try to defend our world championship. They almost looked like they were on the outside looking in. Not only did they secure a wild card spot, on the final in the final 24 hours of the season, they ended up winning the division because Texas got beat, lo and behold, by Seattle. And uh, you know there was a you know there was a great race in the National League. I mean, who had Miami as a postseason team? Good for South Florida fans, even though you know they don't come out as frequently. I'll get to that uh, whole Florida baseball equation uh, here in a moment. Here's something interesting: of the 12 teams that comprise the playoff field in Major League Baseball this year, six came from the top 15 payrolls in baseball. Six came from the bottom 15 payrolls in baseball. And as I'm sure you're aware, if you listen to this podcast, the top three payroll teams in baseball were nowhere to be seen in the postseason, nowhere close. The Mets, the Yankees, the San Diego Padres. Padres went on a run the last two, three weeks of the season, but still fell uh, well short of making the postseason field. Six in the top 15, six in the bottom 15. What does that tell us? It's not exclusively about money. Not even close. Look at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, year in and year out, in a most difficult division, because you have the big spending Yankees, you have the big spending Toronto Blue Jays, you have typically, uh, you know, big spending Boston, and now Baltimore has turned around. They have a low payroll, uh, but they have all those young players after, yes, losing 100-plus games on multiple occasions as recently as two years ago. So things can turn quickly when you get the right players, the right youth uh, involved. One thing about Tampa, I, I, I think everybody in baseball, most everybody roots for them because they do it with less and they're the embodiment of you don't have to spend big to win. 
They have, uh, you know, great use, I suppose, of analytics. I think there's got to be a balance of analytics and, and, and old school scouting. I really do. But to dismiss information would be foolish. And they have found a way year in and year out in a very difficult division uh, to thrive. And so good for them. The disappointing part about Tampa is that for their first playoff game, they're hosting at the Trop. I get it. It's an afternoon game, but it's a playoff game, right? It's a playoff game. They're hosting Texas, 19,704 in attendance, 19,704. That's a joke. That's an absolute joke. The Rockies never had a game this year where there was that few people in it. They averaged Tampa this year 17,781, which is terrible for such a good team. And then for the postseason, they get basically 2,000 more for the first, first game in the playoffs. Frightening part about it is, good news, bad news, Tampa has come to an agreement to build a new stadium finally. But it's coming in St. Pete right next to the old stadium, the Trop. And it is really difficult to get to the Trop unless you live in St. Pete. In other words, if you live across the causeway in Tampa, it's an onerous process to get there. And so many folks stay away that you get 19704 for a playoff game. And even with you know a fancy new stadium with bells and whistles, is that going to dramatically change? Because it's out there at St. Pete. And I love St. Pete. But I don't live in Tampa. And I guess if you live in Tampa, you're like, well, be fun to be there, but we're going to watch it on TV. You know, that's that's been an ongoing problem. I want to talk about Philadelphia real quick and, and third base coaching. I think to some, the coaches that stand out there on the field in a Major League Baseball game are, you know, ornamental in nature. Let me tell you what, far from it, especially when it comes to third base. You have to make quick and educated decisions on sending runners. In game one of that Philadelphia Marlins wildcard series, it was a first inning situation and Kyle Schwarber's at third. Now, Kyle Schwarber's not a, a super fast guy by any stretch of the imagination. Big, strong dude, not fast guy. There's a fly ball with no outs down the right field line and the right fielder and, and pretty good depth. The right fielder now who's who's right-handed, so he's catching the ball with his left hand, that's where his glove is, and then has to redirect his feet and then make a throw in the neighborhood of at least 275 feet, maybe longer, to the plate. And Dusty Wathen who's been a third base coach for a long time. And it's not meant to beat up Dusty Wathen, but I question a couple of things he did. Um, Kyle Schwarber tagged, broke down the line, Dusty Wathen stopped him. They ultimately did not score in that first inning. I say early in a game, put immediate pressure on a team, especially, you know, it's not, you're not asking him to, to, to go on a fly ball where the, outfielder's momentum's heading toward home plate and it's going to be a throw at 200 feet, you know, that would be crazy unless you have a plus-plus speed guy. 
And then later in the game, with a 3-1, to one, late, one out, there's a double, and the runner at first is Bryce Harper, who runs better than average. And Bryce Harper comes tearing around third, and he ran through a Dusty Wathen stop sign, and he ended up scoring pretty easily to make it 4-1. to one. That's a big run. That's a jugular run. That's that that's a run now instead of a, a two-run homer. Now you got to put a couple guys on base, and now you're ahead by three late. And there's one out there. There's one out. So you already, you know, you're asking the next guy or one or two guys to come through. It becomes that much more difficult. And I get it. These guys have to make split-second decisions. They have to base it on scoreboard number one, throwing arm, how that guy is arriving to catch the baseball, what kind of speed I have with a runner. But in that case, I thought Dusty Wathen twice was really conservative. And the point of this diatribe, again, is not to beat up Dusty Wathen. It's more to talk about the importance uh, and the decision-making, the split-second decision-making that a third-base coach has to make um, at any level, but specifically at the highest level of the sport. Four games, uh, you know, as we tape this, I watched four games on Monday. We're going to watch four games on, or excuse me, on Tuesday. We're going to watch four games on Wednesday uh, in the baseball postseason. Games are moving along. Great that baseball didn't try to alter uh, the rules that they played by this year. They didn't add, you know, five seconds to the pitch clock. Do as they've done for 162. And, and it was good theater, man. It was good theater. Getting back to the Rockies for a moment. I'd be remiss if I didn't... Uh, Speak to the Charlie Blackman signing for one more year. I think it was the absolute right thing to do. I mean, some people will quibble over the you know the money he got. Good for Charlie. You know what? I mean, this is a guy that's made a lot of money in baseball. Uh, to me, he still gives you the best at bat on that club. Though Nolan Jones is pretty darn close right now um, with what he's done this year. But Charlie's still so professional. And I think as you move forward next year and that clubhouse is populated by even more young players getting their feet wet at the major league level, trying to learn what it's like to be a big leaguer, how you prepare, nobody better than Charlie Blackman, who will continue and always be a a crowd favorite. He's an all-time Rocky. This is not a gratuitous gesture to kind of uh, acknowledge the greatness of somebody who's played for well over a decade in a Rockies uniform. This was done because Charlie Blackman's still a really good baseball player. Charlie Blackman is still a very productive player, and he played with great energy. I know he had a couple months off, unfortunately, because of the, the hand injury, uh, but he played with fabulous energy down the stretch. He's still solid in right field. He's not what he used to be. Um, you know, defensively, but he's still solid. And uh, I thought it was a really good move going forward uh, for the Rockies to bring him back uh, for another year. I think it's a win-win situation. To football we go. And um, let me talk about the Broncos for a moment. I, I was working on Sunday, naturally, it was game 162, and the Broncos were on, and they were on in the background, and they're down 28-7, to the, the Bears, and you're going, oh my gosh, after giving up 70 a week ago, now you're down 28-7 to, you know, arguably one of the, you know, two or three poorest teams in football in the Bears, 
and uh, a much maligned quarterback in Justin Fields. And to, to the Broncos' credit, they found a way not only back in the game, but as you know, they ultimately win the game 31-28. Um, kudos to the Broncos. Probably uh, you have to uh, applaud the the Bears in a cynical way for, for blowing a 21-point lead. That's awful, uh, terrible. But I think Bronco fans are smart enough not to think, okay, this is the start of a turnaround. And I thought of a couple of things. One, that, that it's it's not necessarily a turnaround. Um, but I, I want to speak more to Russell Wilson for a moment. Russell Wilson's playing pretty well. And if you recall, when Sean Payton was hired, everything that he stated, if you listened carefully, was like, we're, we're not going to ask Russell Wilson to be the best player in the NFL or to be an MVP uh, candidate, a perennial candidate every year. But we want to get Russell Wilson back to where, you know, he's he's better than he certainly was a year ago. And then we're going to play really good defense and we're going to be able to run the ball. And, and that's how we're going to win football games. And Sean Payton's not getting a lot of pats on the back right now. He probably doesn't deserve many pats on the back right now, given the start, given giving up 70 points last week, given all of the rhetoric uh, that uh, came from his mouth leading into this season. But Russell Wilson, he's made him better. I guess he deserves some credit for that. He's made Russell Wilson more the player we saw in Seattle and far less of the player we saw last year in his first year in Denver. Wilson's the third-rated quarterback by the NFL way of rating quarterbacks, where the high is this odd figure of 158.3. He's the third-rated quarterback in the NFL behind Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant draft pick, and Tua Tunga-Viola. Number three is Russell Wilson. So get off his back. He's the last of the problems. And I guess you got to give, as I said, some credit because Peyton was truthful there. He made him better. He's made him better so far. Now, the rest is you know, somewhat of a disaster. Randy Gregory... This doesn't play well well for George Payton. Randy Gregory, who they paid $70 million toward or signed him to a five-year $70 million deal. In 21 possible games for the Broncos, he played in 10. He produced three sacks, and they cut him. He was owed another $14 million this year. Not good. And I think that's going to be the first of many moves made here over the next six, seven weeks. I can see the Broncos trading some guys as they look to truly rebuild this. NFL's interesting. In the MVP every year, as you know, is a quarterback. And maybe they need to change or add an award. In other words, quarterback of the year, because that's what the MVP has become. The last non-quarterback to win the MVP was Adrian Peterson in 2012, I believe. So it's who's the most valuable quarterback is the most valuable player in the league. Now, I would say that's true. The most valuable player is the quarterback because it's the most important position in all of sports, not just football. It is the most important position in all sports. You have to have a good one to win consistently. Right now, though, if I had to pick a first quarter MVP in the National Football League, you know who it would be? It'd be a running back who grew up in Colorado, went to Valor Christian High School, on to Stanford. You know I'm talking about Christian McCaffrey, CMC. 
He's scoring multiple touchdowns every week. He's running from scrimmage for over 100 yards. He's catching multiple passes. He has been, which he's been for most of his career, but an absolute stud on one of the three best teams in football and one of the most dynamic offenses we've seen in a while, the San Francisco 49ers. But Christian McCaffrey should be the MVP right now. With all due respect to Josh Allen, to his teammate Brock Purdy, probably got to be two different awards. Quarterback of the year, and then most valuable player who's not a quarterback. So congrats to uh, to CMC. Love watching him play and uh, with the local ties and you know, it's uh, it's pretty cool stuff. Well, speaking of most valuable players, I guess when you lose 103, you're not necessarily giving out a bunch of awards. But if you look at the Rockies this year, you could make one hell of a case that the most valuable player for the Rockies was a guy who didn't play really in the big leagues most of the first two months. And that's Nolan Jones, who's playing a new position, by the way, outfield. He was a corner infielder, and when he was drafted, he was a third baseman. Moved over, played some first. He's become an outfielder, and he had 19 assists, which led baseball this year. And oh, by the way, he had an OPS above 930 this year, which would make him, most seasons, an MVP candidate, or at least on a list of guys that are going to get MVP votes. He was that good. So he's the Rockies MVP, and he's also uh, our guest over the next couple of weeks because we got to chatting about a lot of different topics, and I think you're going to really enjoy getting to know Nolan Jones better and realize this is a guy that's driven, this is a guy that's really bright, and this is a guy that's really excited about turning around the fortunes of the Rockies. Nolan Jones. Well... Nolan, before we talk baseball and everything, you're, you're driving to Scottsdale right now. Is that uh, is that what we got? Yes, sir. Um, usually, guys, you know, send their car and they get on a plane. But I was talking to Buddy, and Buddy actually is flying back, and he's a little bum flying back to San Diego because he likes to you know, decompressed by, in the past, taking that long, you know, 20-hour, 20-plus-hour drive to San Diego. Is this um, cathartic at all for you to drive? Um, A little bit. You know, I think it's a really long season, and and we're constantly moving and constantly on a schedule all year. Um, I think think it is nice to to take a little time and decompress. You know, I had had a crazy year this year. I, I... didn't really have time during the season or really want to look back and reflect on some of the things that happened and what went on throughout the year. So I think it is a good time to, you know, just kind of have some alone time and, and think about think about all the things that happened this year. Yeah, a lot of things happened. And um, I'll, I'll start with this one. Uh, this just happened in the last 24 hours. And I feel good because I get to vote on this. And uh, congratulations, you were the National League Rookie of the Month, man. How uh, how cool did that feel? Yeah, I mean, it, it's awesome. It's a huge honor. You know, any any time you get uh, recognized for for good play is is awesome. Uh, I, I I really felt locked in this last month. You know, it, sometimes it's it's tough because we we knew early on this month that we weren't going to be playing for a playoff spot or really playing for anything. But, you know, I, as a, 
as a younger guy, I wanted to show that I I still cared and I still belonged out there. And I think our whole team did that really, really well. Um, you know, we, we, we didn't have all the results that, that we wanted all year and even in the last month. But I think it says a lot about the, the group of guys we had that we didn't just roll over and give up um, when, you know, as most would say, we're not playing for anything. Um, but we kept we kept fighting and, and kept enjoying what we were doing, you know. Yeah, one of the things, and I said this a lot on television, and I'm not being gratuitous, there was an energy that you guys played with every night, and I think a lot of it, uh, you know, even though the, the record's not good, a lot of it is because the nucleus now of the Rockies are, are young guys, guys trying to, you know, establish themselves in the big leagues, and, you know, regardless of what happened the night before, it felt like you guys were ready to go at, you know, 6.30 every uh, every night. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm not really sure because I wasn't I wasn't there when, you know, before there was a younger core there. Um, and, and, you know, I, I got a chance to play in Cleveland a little bit last year. I was a super, super, super small part uh, of what happened last year in Cleveland where – you know, they went on a little playoff run. They caught a little, caught a little magic in uh, in the playoffs, and 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 they were they were really ran by a lot of the younger guys. You know, they had they had a lot a, a really young core um, that had a lot of energy and and really rallied off of that. And I, you know, I, I got to see that. And and during the playoffs, I, I wasn't on the playoff team. I, I got sent down prior to the playoffs, and I was watching the playoffs, but. While I was there, I kind of got to see, you know, what it, what it was like and, and and the energy that they played with and what it did to some of the older guys and 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 how it how it you know energized them. And I think it was it was really special. And you know, when you have a when you have a younger core that you can build around, I think it makes for the, for, for a really exciting future. And not saying that I'm part of that or whatever, but you know, to to have an opportunity to go up and play with with some guys that I got opportunities to play with in AAA and, and, and a bunch of guys that are really fresh to the big league, you know, we're up there, we're up there happy as can be. You know, we, we obviously it's all of our dreams to play in the big league, but we want to stay, we want to show we can compete in the big leagues. And, you know, that energy is just a small, small little thing that we can bring every single day that, you know, it doesn't matter how we do on the field. It doesn't matter. None of, none of the results matter. It's how we handle ourselves. But I think we did a really good job with that. Yeah, I would, I would, I would concur, and I would also. I know you're, um, you, you're being modest, but as this club moves forward, I think you're going to be a huge part of it, and, and you clearly established that this year. And we'll get into it uh, in a moment. For those uh, that have known me for a long time, uh, I, one of my phrases or mantras in life, and and you and I've chatted a bunch i have three boys and they i still have one playing college baseball is i'm big on chip on the shoulder guy over pretty guy every day of the week and and i think you're a chip on the shoulder guy is there uh i don't know if it was growing up in philly i don't know you know whatever reason um i i think that's a strong compliment and and i feel as talented as you are and obviously you're very gifted but you have that 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 chip, I want to prove myself each day. Do you always have it, or, or was it something that's occurred since you become a pro? Uh, I would I would say I've always had it. You know, I grew up in a I grew up in a household of of four four siblings. Um, I you know my 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 dad still wakes up at four thirty every morning um, to go to work. He 
Pete Ryan's. It's, 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 you know, I've, I've loved competing my whole life, and I truly, like, I, I, I take it as such a compliment that it gets noticed, you know, but I, but I just, I just love playing baseball. I, I love winning. I love being around the guys. You know, I was a, me and Charlie Blackman were the last two in the clubhouse yesterday. We grind all off season. We, we work our butts off and, and, you know, we, we I, I love playing baseball. I love being in the locker room with my teammates. I love, I love tra- the travel. I, I love all of it. There's so many cool, exciting parts. It's what I dreamed about my whole life. And I, you know, I just, I, I, I just like playing the game the right way. I think it's something that I take pride in. My dad, um, from a young age, I remember I, I, uh, when I was, I think I was 12 years old and we were in a state tournament and we were up a couple runs. It was a 3-0 count. My dad was a third base coach. He gave me a take sign and I, uh, I swung and I popped out to the shortstop and I walked back to the dugout. I, um, I didn't take any steps towards first base. I just walked back to the dugout. My dad, I grabbed my glove. My dad said, put your helmet on and run down to first base. I was like, Dad, the inning's over. The pitcher's already warming up. He said, put your helmet on and go run down the first base. And so I put my helmet on, and I ran down the first base, and he said, you play the game the right way no matter what. And I think that's, you know, something that I take pride in is playing the game the right way. Uh, no matter what, um, I want to I wanna go out there. I want to compete. I want to show that I care because, because I and everybody in that clubhouse does. Um, and I just, I just want to play the game the right way. Yeah, I love that story, man. Good for your dad. Because there's a there's a teaching moment in everything, and and no one ever knows that moment in time that will, uh, you know, resonate with a an individual forever. And you know, you're a big leaguer now, but you can flash back to when you were 12 years old, and that time you didn't run out of pop. Not to not to mention uh, you weren't supposed to swing 3-0. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I want I want to ask you about another growth moment. Um, you admittedly did not have in, in your first uh, opportunity to impress a new franchise. You did not have a good spring, and you were sent to Albuquerque. And I'll take it one step further. There, I can't remember the particulars. There was an injury. You got called up, and you were you were here for three days. When I say here in the big leagues for three days, you never got a tap on the shoulder to to start one of those. I think three games. You never pinch hit. And then you were sent back to Albuquerque. What take us through spring and also that first time with the Rockies and the big leagues where you don't get to play? Yeah, so I mean, spring training was spring training was a tough one for me. Spring, to be honest with you, spring training is always a little tough for me. I'm I feel that I'm a, I'm I'm a, a long limbed guy that does a good job of controlling the strike zone. Um, I think it's something that I've always taken pride in. Um, and it takes me, it takes me a little while to get going. You know, it's hard to get live reps in the off season from big league, big league arms. I, I hit the machine. I hit any, any way possible that I can, whether it's, you know, wiffle balls or, or whatever. I just, I, I love to hit. Um, and so I do as much as I can. And every year going into spring training, I do start a little slow, but this year was a little different. You know, I, I got traded over to the Rockies and, and when I was traded, I was told I had an opportunity to make this team. You know, I was told that there's there's not a starting nine that are just that they're rolling out there no matter what. Um, there were spots that were up for grabs, and you know, I, I heard that loud and clear, and and I worked my my butt off this offseason, and, and I wanted to go in and I wanted to impress. 
Um, and I put a little too much pressure on myself. I think I, I didn't enjoy spring training this year. I, I've always enjoyed, like I said earlier, I've always enjoyed being with the guys. You know, I was meeting a whole new group of guys. I got to be in a locker room with Charlie Blackman, Chris Bryan, Ryan McMahon, all these, like, all these big name guys. It's, it's such a, such an opportunity to get to learn from these guys. And I wanted to press and show that I could play and, and you know, there's no secret that didn't happen. I, I struggle a lot. Um, and when I went to AAA, I remember I, I had a conversation with my parents. Was like, Dad, I, I don't, I don't know what happened. Like, I, I worked harder than I've ever worked. I trained, I hit, I did everything more than I ever have. And you know, I had the worst spring of my life. And I remember my girlfriend, my mom, my dad talking to them, and they were like, "You didn't have fun. You didn't enjoy it. Like, if, if not, it wasn't the results you didn't enjoy." It was you didn't you didn't enjoy showing up at the field. You didn't enjoy all those little things that you always enjoy, like relaxing. You need to have fun, and I think that was something that you know I, I really took into AAA. Um, I was blessed with an unbelievable group of guys and coaches in Albuquerque, and we had a really good time. You know, we 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 made it fun. Um, obviously, there was a couple guys there that thought they had a chance to be in the big league and did have a chance to be in the big leagues, and, and we wanted to enjoy it, and we had a really good time. And then, you know, when I when I got called up uh, that first time, I was I was playing really well in AAA. I was playing really well in Albuquerque, better than I ever have, and I really thought it was going to be my opportunity. Um, you know, when, when you get called up to the big leagues, it, it, you never know how it's going to go. You never know what it's going to look like. You don't know if you're going to be there for three days or, or two months um, or the rest of the year. I packed up my whole apartment. I packed up everything I own. And and I got my car shipped to actually my girlfriend drove to Denver because I said hey like let's go this is my time um, and you know I went up and I I, I got for an off day and then three games thinking that I was going to get an opportunity and I didn't uh, and it, it wasn't easy for me you know I was I couldn't believe it when I um, it was it was extremely frustrating. Uh, I thought, you know, like I said, I thought this was my opportunity to come up to the big leagues and, and show that I belong and show that I can help the Rockies win. Uh, but that didn't happen. You know, I took I took my couple hours to, to talk about it and, and talk to my people, and I think, you know, the same, the same thing came back to me was that I needed to go back and keep doing what I was doing. I needed to go have fun. I needed to enjoy the people in Albuquerque, and when the time is right, um, I'll get my opportunity and – and, and that did happen, but it, it definitely that was not easy for me. That was something that that, like I said, I really, really thought that was my opportunity to come up and show that I could play in the big league. Um, and you know, with no at bats or anything, uh, it was it was extremely frustrating. I was not ready for it. Uh, it shot me down a little bit, but I, I think that no matter no matter what, you know, everything everything happens for a reason um, in life. And I think it, it was you know just another motivator for me. Yeah, I think you know. I think there's. I think there's multiple ways to look at every situation in life. You know, we can always we can stuff stuff happens like good, bad stuff happens all the time, and there's always two ways to look at it. You can use it as like, oh, now I hate the Rockies. I don't want to play for the Rockies. Or you know what? I'm going to prove the Rockies wrong. I'm going to prove the Rockies that they do need to call me up. They do need to have me in their lineup. And when I get up there and get my chance and get my first at bat, like I'm going to I'm going to show them that 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 I belong here. Um, so I think there's two ways to look at everything. And I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to lie and say that I, I wasn't upset and I didn't have 24 hours that I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I was, 
I was angry and, and everything, but, you know, after kind of reevaluating it, it was, like you said, another another motivator and chip on my shoulder. At what point when you did come back, did you feel there was a moment, a game, a series of games where you felt like, you know what, I'm off and running, I'm, I'm going to replicate what I was doing in Albuquerque, and you were tearing it up, and and there's no turning back now. I mean, I, I am going to prove every day that I belong here, I belong in the starting lineup. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think baseball is such a... Baseball is such an up and down game. Like you can't. I, I talk to I talk to the guys all the time. You can't get too high. You can't get too low. Like you gotta you gotta you gotta find a way to stay in the middle. I think. I mean, I, I'm sure you remember my first game as a Colorado Rocky. I got back picked in the bottom of the ninth inning, down two runs at second base, where the bases would have been loaded. And I sat in my locker for two hours after that game. I didn't get undressed. Didn't take my uniform off. It was just. It was just a, a, a moment I had to. I just had to. I just had to sit there and evaluate. You know, it was like, what just happened? Like, how, how did I? How did I let that happen? I was trying to do a little too much. Sure, like, hey, I gotta. I gotta get back to being Nolan Jones. I gotta get back to enjoying this and 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 playing loose, having fun. You know, I I then went on and had a really good month, followed up by a terrible month. So I think there's. I think baseball is such a crazy game that I, I never. You know, I, I went into Buddy's office yesterday, and I thanked him for giving me an opportunity. I, I I got to face lefties. I got to hit in the ninth inning. I got to play outfield, left field, right field, first base, third base. I got so many different opportunities um, that I'm ex- extremely, extremely thankful for. And I, I don't know that there was a moment where where I, I said this year until even last night where it was like, I, I can play in the big leagues. Like, I can I can do this because there's so many ups and downs. You know, you can go four for four one day and go over four and four strikeouts the next day. So it's it's such a it's such a mental battle that you just have to you have to do your best to just to stay even even keel. I think that the hardest part of baseball is is the mental part of it. Yeah, I I, I think you described that so well. It is such a humbling game. Um, certain <laughs> phrases were already taken and that's why it's called baseball instead of torture right i mean it, and, and i look specifically at at you and when we talk about the future and, and turning the franchise around i i look at you and i and i look at ezekiel and, and this isn't to dismiss anybody else because we can talk about brenton doyle in a little bit and he did so many marvelous things um, this year, and, and and there's some others of your brethren, of your class, if you will, that I that I think are really going to establish themselves as bona fide big leaguers. But when it comes to even keel, I look at that 22 year old shortstop now who you're close with, and man, he never gets too high. It seems like he never gets too low, and you know that quality in baseball is so important, isn't it, Nolan? I, yeah, I mean it's the most important. I think I I said about a week into the big leagues, I said, what is what is wrong with this kid? You know, wh- why is why is Ezekiel Tovar at the time was 21 years old? Well, he's the nicest kid in the world. Goes about his business the right way every single day, and like you said, he rides the wave better than anybody else. I mean, he shows up every single day. And, and goes about his business the right way. He handles success. He handles failure better than any person I've ever seen. I mean, 
him, like him, and he's 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 a mini Charlie Blackman. Like that, I don't even I don't even know if that's appropriate to say, but <laughs> it's it's really the way he handled himself. It's so cool and impressive. He said to me during my 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 second month in the big leagues, I had a rough month, and he came up to me about three weeks in, and all he said to me was, "Nolan, don't worry, be happy." And I was like, I love it. I love it. You're right. Don't worry. Be happy. We're playing baseball. Like, go play. And honestly, like, I, I changed how I, I changed. I changed how I was acting. I wanted to act like I could go bar. Like, he's a 22 year old kid, and every single day he handled all the success, all the failure, all the attention. He handled it the right way. It, it, it's impressive. To, it's so impressive to see he's an absolute superstar. Do you know, one of the things, and I've said this many, many times over the years, you take kids from Latin America, and not across the board are, are all kids from, you know, impoverished backgrounds or tough backgrounds, but um, there is a significant number of kids that come from Latin America that, that did not have a lot, and then you thrust them into a different country, different culture, different food, different language, and to see kids like that thrive and, you know, the pressure of ninth inning, the winning runs at second base and you're at the plate. Well, they've dealt with a lot bigger items in their, in their life, right? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's so, it, it's, it's so cool to see, you know, it's, it's, there's so much perspective behind it. You know, they, like you said, a lot of these, a lot of these guys, I mean, I was talking to Sensatella the other day, um, you know, from Venezuela, and and he was he was telling me about the field he grew up playing on, and it's like, you know, we take we take for granted uh, growing up here uh, the luxury of of having someone who cuts the grass and take care of our little league fields, and 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 having gear and having parents that that not that they don't have parents, but parents that are able to. You know, buy us the new bat and buy us the new cleats and and all those things. And these guys, you know, coming from coming from what they have and 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 getting this and, and the way they handle the guys that I I've been around, the way they handle these successes and 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 pressure moments, like you said, it's 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 really cool to see. Yeah, I, I I've also felt like it, it's so good. For or it would be good for all you know U.S. kids to play winter ball for uh, you know a couple months to just get a little feel for what it's like to have you know the the quote unquote shoe on the other foot where you know English isn't as widely spoken and you can't just go down and and, and get what you're used to eating every night and you're trying to get around and and uh, I, I think it would be so beneficial. Um, you know, because a clubhouse is, is an interesting universe, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. I think you know. I actually, obviously, we're uh, we're extremely blessed to have Vinny Castillo hanging around the clubhouse all the time and and getting to talk to us. I was very um, interested in playing winter ball with him this year in Mexico. And you know, after talking to my agent and talking to the Rockies a little bit, um, I played a lot of baseball this year. Um, but I definitely think it would be. It would be an unbelievable experience to go kind of see see the different culture and and, and all the, and all that. I think it's something that you know we take for granted sometimes.
Next week with Nolan, he'll talk about what he's most proud of from the 2023 season and some of uh, the coolest moments from 2023 that he was involved in. Talk a little football, a little hockey also with Nolan. That'll come next week in part two of our conversation. Before we get on out of here, had an opportunity, kind of double duty. Saturday, went up to Boulder. What a beautiful day, man. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful campus. Always say that. I mean, you're not going to find better than University of Colorado, especially on a fall day in the mid to upper 70s. I think it was actually in the 80s that day. Flat, gorgeous. Tailgated early. Had to get up at, uh, you know, four something in the morning, get a little workout done, jump in the car, go up there. And then after the game came down uh, and called game 161 uh, of the Rockies season as they concluded against the Minnesota Twins. But what a great atmosphere. What an unbelievable atmosphere. It was like 54,000 people, and their enthusiasm never waned. Even when Colorado got behind by four touchdowns, they come storming back and made it most fascinating. And you imagine if they had come up with the onside kick. I think they come up with the onside kick. I'm with I'm with Coach Prime. I, I don't think there's any question that CU would have gone down and put it in the end zone and tied the damn thing up. But it was it was a great atmosphere. It was great theater. And on display, you had two top three, four, five picks in the NFL draft. Caleb Williams, who seems to be the consensus thought to go number one next year, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, did not disappoint. He was terrific. But Shador played right with him. Shador Sanders played right with him. And it got me thinking, along with all of you, is there any chance he comes back? Well, in years gone by, there would be no friggin' chance that he was coming back, even with his dad as the coach. But because Shador makes reportedly four, five, whatever it is, million dollars now, and it's probably just going to continue to grow as the quarterback at the University of Colorado, coached by his father, he may say, you know what? I'm making a lot of money. I don't have to run to the riches of the NFL right away. I want to go number one also, and if Caleb Williams is number one, I'll wait my turn, make good money, play for my dad, and continue this turnaround at the University of Colorado. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Shador comes back, but it was a great experience being up there in Boulder, seeing where football was big time again. It took me back to the the late 80s and the 90s and the early part of the 21st century where I would be up there quite a bit, whether calling a game or going as a fan, and to see that place raucous and to realize you're watching the top, um, you know, top uh, a top team, or in this case, top teams playing in college football. That's what we witnessed uh, for the, all of those that were there uh, on Saturday. So, you know, I know it was a loss. I know the last two were losses. Um, but it's big fun and continues to be a huge story, even with the losses, with what uh, Deion Sanders has done at the University of Colorado. We'll do it again in seven days, everyone. Take care, stay safe, stay well, and uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.